I'm glad we're getting this out of the way now. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. Is that right? I mean, I can't think of a way Virginia could be, so, you know, assume Pitt won yeah, this. Yeah, okay. I see what you're saying because if yeah. Miami beat Pitt, then they would both have, yeah, UVA would be the three. Yeah, and that's the only way Virginia would clinch a share. Um, would be if Miami, Pitt, wins, Pitt winning yeah. and then Miami beating Pitt. But then UVA it's kind of weird, be too, great. because it's like on the one hand, the, the way that it kind of breaks is weird because it's like, all right, so if Pitt wins this game, I hope you're recording this, Brad. That's all we got. Oh, I'm I'm yeah. totally recording this. <laughs> if if Pitt wins this game, UVA clinches no worse than the three. So you would think that would be good for them, right? But if Pitt loses this game, UVA is more likely to be the two seed. Yeah. So it's, it's like better Duke for them. Up, right? If you have faith in UVA to beat Louisville, Notre Dame winning is good. Yeah. But, yeah. but God, if you're worried so. about, but yeah, but if you're for some reason worried about that and don't want to drop below the three seed, then then you would want Pitt to win. Well, the key but, is to avoid Duke until the. Um, final, if all possible. Yeah, I also probably don't want to play Carolina again. But if they're the two seed, that's like pretty likely that it's going to happen. Yeah, because they're probably going to be the seven seed. It's possible they could lose to Duke and drop to the eight nine game, but I don't think that's going to happen. You're now you're we've we've officially reached the filling the intro up with too much stuff. That's too much. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And Dave, you you want to do the intro or no? Oh, I'll do it, man. If you want to. (laughs) <laughs> we, <laughs> I kind of want it now. I kind of think like you, you know, Ferber did ninety eight. You can do ninety nine. Um, yeah. Do you really want to? Hey, I worked on it. I worked on it in my head today. I'm good. You worked on it in your. So you've been. So you've been preparing. <laughs> yeah, All right. Re- record that. <laughs> Welcome, friends, no. to the CapsCorner.com podcast. No, no, we're not doing welcome, friends. You're yeah. not Jim Nance. I was going to hit you with the I was gonna hit you with the Jim Nance, hello, friends. I was like, this, you'll stop it. Yeah, you, you would hit me with with hello, friends, and I'd been like, no, no. Try Okay, try it again. I made, try it again. I made try one note just, for this. You should just leave all this in as the intro. and just. Well, like, what's wrong is I said, what's messed I up. I made like two said, notes to try to work in, and hello, friends was the first one. I was like, I'm going to try welcome, friends. Maybe you'll let it go. No. <laughs> all right, yeah, run he, it again. I'm ready. He said, that, he said that, and I like immediately hit the button. Um, <laughs> so no. Uh, all right, go ahead. To the capscorner.com podcast. Oh, I messed that up. <laughs> Justin's way better at this. Yeah, see, you go. guys Three. you guys think it's all it's so easy and so so much fun. Go ahead. Well, I think it's because Justin came off the off the cuff. All right, here we go. To the Cavs Corner, CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com. <laughs> all right, that's enough. We, Dave's cut off. Welcome everyone to the CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia Sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Coming to you live from the place where Franklin stays in the West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, March the 1st. Uh, Dave tried. We gave him three good, honest attempts, and he could not get the spaceship off the ground. Um, Virginia, meanwhile, got the spaceship back on track. You like that? That's what I call a segue, folks. Uh, Those spaceships don't really run on tracks. Anyway, um, coming off of a... um, 
you know, I, I guess it at times was a was a was a nice win. Um, I'm not. It kind of depends on how you view Clemson, right? Sixty four fifty seven over the Tigers uh, last evening. We will discuss that and much more going into uh, next week's ACC tournament. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. We'll start in Fishersville with um, board moderator du jour. Uh David Spence is on the show, as you heard. How are how, yeah. how, how you doing over there, buddy? I'm taking a second to take this line off my resume real quick. Uh, who days on the board at? Who days on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, he, for, uh, Ferber, he he's he's so intimidated by how well you did that last week that he he got sh- completely shook. He couldn't even get Cavs Corner or podcast right. I'm. It's just, it's just not not everybody can be the talent. What can I say? Speaking of uh, in Charlottesville, uh, editor in chief Justin Ferber's on the show. How's it going, my dude? Much better now. Nice little <laughs> ego bo- ego boost there. Um, I kind of feel like I'm like you know one of these like British actors doing like King Lear or something. You know, just got this like long soliloquy uh, memorized. <laughs> but yeah, it feels good. Um, I had Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter um, for actually. You know what? I didn't tweet about it. No anthem takes from from Tuesday night's game. But but Brad Brad had a few thoughts. We all had thoughts. Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional winning banter when Twitter works. Um, yeah, that. Yeah, we're not getting into that. Um, so no, I I I, I especially enjoy um, the the whole like it was a lot of fun last week to do the outro too. Um, if you if you're somebody who listens to the show and you didn't stick through the whole thing, you should you miss a little uh, little Easter egg there for you at the end. Um, all right, 64-57, Virginia beats Clemson, snaps a two-game losing streak, um, keeps pace in, in a, a way that I didn't expect um, until tonight um, at the top of the, the league standings. Uh, four players in double figures, three of them score 12, Gardner, um, Franklin, and McNeely, who I thought had a really nice second half. I think in, in, in large part, Dave, the play of the freshman it it made me feel a lot better about this team. Not so much, it's not so much just what they did, but more about like the situational stuff aspect of it all, right? And the fact that Tony was more than happy to go to Ryan Dunn late, to go to Isaac McNeely late. Um, I, I think that's a really good sign for this squad going into next week and beyond. Um, you you had to. I, I know it was a very interesting um, color commentating play by play duo on the call yeah. for this game. So you had to, I want to say you sort of suffered through it. Um, as Dave likes to say, you know, Virginia had to suffer through the starters at times. Um, but in general, what were your, some of your, your takeaways, some of your thoughts, uh, having watched that one last night? Well, that, that's a trademark phrase. You got to back off of that one. Um, <laughs> no, it, yeah. I mean, your, your point about Don and Neely is spot on. Like they, they brought energy last night and, um, consistency at times when the team needed it a lot. You know, obviously Dunn came in after Virginia had, um, you know, some empty possessions to start the game and had that block in the alley-oop to kind of get the crowd into it and get the team. You know, you could almost see the team kind of loosen up after that um, and start making making a few shots. So and you, you like seeing that from the guys and you hope maybe the way Tony's used them this year and put them in positive situ- you know, situations that weren't too much for them kind of helps their confidence grow so that they're, contributors towards the end of the season um you kind of have to take a little grain of salt though just because they're playing at home um you know young guys tend to respond to that home crowd a little a little differently than they do visiting crowds um or oh you know neutral neutral court games but 
Yeah, certainly. Especially when you're struggling, you know, when BVP struggling like he did at times last night. Um, and then, you know, with Isaac, when you can play him at Reese's spot or Franklin's spot, and maybe eventually, you know, maybe even a little bit of Kihei minutes, uh, you know, I just think that it helps, helps the team dynamic. Um, but, you know, and, and help cover up some deficiencies they got from, continue to have from starters over the past few games. Ferber, you and I have talked a little bit about, um, well, obviously we talked a little bit about this on last week's show, but just sort of the, the, the I, I, we, I think margin for error is just a really overused phrase. It's an overused idea. But if you've watched Virginia in recent weeks, you see that, you know, there are some pieces there, right? And when they get them all sort of squared up, you, you can you can play a really good game, especially in a game like this where Clemson's not hitting a bunch of shots. Now, granted, they had a much nicer second half than they did first half. Um, they were better from the field, better from three. Um, but I, I just felt like, you know, when you when you watch that game, it felt like Virginia sort of had a better feel for for what the Cavaliers are supposed to be, right? They just had a they had a clear identity. I thought going back to sides was a good uh, decision. I, I thought that the even though I, I still I'm not really sure if I, I how much I like uh, BVP playing that many minutes, I think they're much more um, they're they're much more um, athletic with Dunn on the floor, and I think that that does kind of change the calculus a little bit. But I think if you watched them the last few weeks, and certainly as we've talked about both in person in the text thread and certainly on the show, like there's a lot that both can can get you excited, and then also plenty that can can kind of concern you about this group. Did what you see last night, playing a good team, having to gut out a win, you know, like we talk about, making some plays at the right times, you know, they sort of outlasted the Tigers in this game. Did you come away from it thinking um, that things are sort of pointing in the right direction, or was this sort of what you thought you would get in this matchup at this point in the season? I mean, honestly, going into the game, the biggest thing that I think they needed to do was just win. Like, they needed to to get things back on track in that capacity and and find a way to get it done, even if it was ugly. Because, honestly, like, the way that Clemson played last week heading into this game and just who they are as a team, I feel like if UVA came in and played poorly, like, they probably would have lost even though they were at home. But, you know, I thought that the game, you know, they won by seven. Clemson didn't really let them get too far out, but I felt like UVA was – in control you know for most of the game and they didn't really let Clemson get too close I think it got to like five or so at the at the fewest in the second half but it felt like they kind of had the game and they made they made the shots when they needed to and Brad Burnell actually brought up something after the game that I thought was kind of it was really like astute I thought was that Clemson never really had like a stretch in the game where they were good for like more than a couple possessions in a row Um, like they never were able to like have like eight straight points or something like that, you know, and UVA kind of keeping them from being able to do that is, is good, especially given like the advantages Clemson had in a couple areas, like particularly in the post, um, you know, making them so they're not so consistently good on the offensive end is good. But, um, I, I think, you know, like you mentioned a lot of the good stuff that we saw, like, I, I think the freshmen playing late and playing so much kind of not just their productivity, but also it shows that they have some trust. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't think like, I, I don't necessarily think like done not playing as much as people want is like a Tony doesn't trust him thing It's more like, you know, he's behind some veterans and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, 
you know, that can keep you off the floor at times. But, you know, I think like they're going to have to be versatile. You know, it's kind of a cliche, but you have to kind of be ready when when you're called to be ready. And I think they have a guy. I mean, even getting like Caffaro and Murray and guys like that into the game, like I thought that was um, interesting. Uh, I don't know if it's going to like lead to anything, but it certainly showed that they were trying some different things, which is what you want to see. And to be honest with you, I kind of agree with Tony's assessment that like um, they started to kind of pick it up in the second half of the Carolina game. And that didn't translate into wins or, you know, a win or like even getting the game super close, but you could tell like the level of play was a lot better on both ends. Carolina scored, you know, like 13 points in the first like 13 minutes of the half or something like that. And um outside of like one run they went on UVA, like kind of locked them up a little bit more and then also made some plays on the offensive end and just weren't able to finish the rim enough. And and you just hope that that was sort of a blip on the radar. But um, I saw enough in the last couple of games to think like, they're not, I don't think they're going to bottom out. Like it looked like they might, you know, a couple of games ago, but um, like Dave said, they're, they're at home in this game. So you hope that they can build some momentum in these two games and take that onto the neutral floor. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to go back to two separate things. So check this out. One team shot 42%, one team shot 41%. One team was 23 of 55 from the floor. One team was 22 of 54 from the floor. Um, one team out-rebounded the other 38 to 32. Um, if I told you those numbers, one, you probably wouldn't assume that the game was, you know, you would assume it was probably closer than that, but Virginia was 15 to 22 from the, from the free throw line. Clemson only shot five free throws in the game. Right. And Brown mentioned that he's like, you know, we should have gotten to the line more. I, I thought Virginia did a nice job of sort of attacking, um, even though the Cavaliers are running sides and, and, and doing a, a lot of stuff that they haven't done in a while. Um, but yeah, they, you know, Clemson shoots at a percentage better, makes one more shot from the floor. Um, uh, but it's still Virginia out rebounds them 38 to 32. But the big difference, you know, aside from the fact that the Clemson only led for two minutes and 15 seconds of the game is your bench points in this game, 24 to seven. And that was something else Brown now point, pointed to, you know, that Virginia's bench was just better than his bench. And, you know, McNeely and Dunn both, I think did such a really nice job um, of not just like giving them quality minutes, but making like real actual contributions. And I think there have been plenty of times this season where we've seen the two of them come in a game and have some nice moments, but not necessarily really impact the box score, right? So you could watch the game and you could say, yeah, they're, they're doing things that Virginia needs them to do, right? Certainly McNeely has hit a couple shots. You know, he's had, he's, he's had a really nice season from behind the arc. Dunn has certainly made a, non, a lot of nice plays at the rim, um, but I just think that overall, it was good to see them not just giving you contributions in flashes, but in sustained, you know, getting those sustained minutes, making those plays. I was, I mean, I was a little befuddled, you know, if I'm being real, that that Dunn didn't play more. I mean, there was definitely a stage in that in that second half where I was like, why why are they not going back to him um, more consistently? Um, you know, in the second half. Um, VVP plays 12 minutes, Dunn plays uh, just five, but, you know, he was really important in those five minutes. I thought it was really critical, too, that Virginia went to him down the stretch, you know, and and I asked Tony about that after the game, and he said, look, you know, we just thought we needed more athleticism on the floor, and I think that it's such a good thing for them to know that that's, a, that that's something they can go to and, and really kind of trust, you know, he can, he'll, he'll, you know, play those minutes. 
the fact that they out-rebounded Clemson considering, um, you know, Clemson's got P.J. Hall, Clemson's got fake P.J. Hall, they've got the Tyson kid and, like, three other dudes named Hunter. Um, like, they're they're a scrappy bunch. And, again, Virginia, as we talked about, like, Virginia's out virginia Clemson. I, mean, I feel like Clemson, one of the reasons why they keep staying on the bubble is because they can't get over the hump and be Virginia enough, right? And this was a game where they just couldn't out-Virginia Virginia. And I feel like that's sort of been the name of this series. Um, now, I, I haven't checked the score in the last couple of minutes, so my apologies. Um, but Dave, seeing what's going on with Pittsburgh tonight, how has that... I mean, I one, are you surprised to see the the fighting Mike Brays going down uh, fighting? Um, and then two, does that change your... Like, are you... Put it to you like this. Now that there's something to play for on Saturday... How how does that change the calculus for you going into the into the senior night and all that fun stuff? I don't know if it changes it. I mean, there's going to be a lot to play for anyway because I believe Miami and I don't have the uh, I assume Miami and Pitt play after us, so we don't yeah, know what's going to happen. And, and Miami, you have to remember, is going to be favored in that game. They're at home, yeah. So like UVA would, there's a good chance UVA was kind of like softly playing for a share of a title, even though they wouldn't know until later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like we were talking about, you know, before the podcast. Um, uh, you know, Virginia is in a situation now. If you know, unless Notre Dame blows this lead and they're they're letting it slip, um, <laughs> where where they can get the two two seed now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it affects how Virginia plays Saturday at all, just because look, they they just came off a two game losing streak. They, you know, they had a chance to kind of put Clemson away last night and let them kind of stick around for a bit. So there's plenty to work on. And then obviously, you know, Louisville game, all they can handle the first time they played. And for some guys, it'll be the last game in JPJ. So a lot to play for um, regardless. And you don't want to be, you know, you kind of want to be riding a good wave heading into the to the postseason. But um, look, I mean, I thought we saw some stuff, as you guys were talking about, in the game last night that was more positive. Um, rewatching it this, uh, this evening before the podcast, um, like you know, even even when they had the scoring droughts, it wasn't like we saw in the past couple games. They weren't, you know, they just they were getting open shots and missing them. And then later in the game, they were passing up open shots because they didn't have confidence um, because they missed them earlier. So hopefully that's something they can fix because you know when Virginia's when Virginia's been good this year, they've been taking those early in the shot clock shots when they're open with confidence. Um, you know, and overall, the defense last night, and as I think Justin brought it up, but yeah, what we saw from the second half of that Carolina game, you know, the defense has looked better in the last three halves than they have in, in quite a while, which yeah. we know Tony likes. Um, and what was interesting to me last night, you know, as much as I kind of chagrined the lineup, the you know, the starting lineup playing together at times, you know, Virginia, I think the offensive rebounded like 34% of the misses or something. Um and you know it doesn't make sense when you look at how outsized you know how outmanned they were but you know I, I think basically what Clemson was doing was switching everything that BVP was involved in so that allowed you know him to get quite a few off offensive rebounds and they would do similar with Gardner and he end up with a smaller guy you know close to the rim so there's some advantages of that small line lineup I see it but um <laughs> you know, it's just been it's been frustrating to not see you know, the production at a, at a number five that we've seen at points during the year. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, look, I'm I'm glad they won because they needed it. You know, it's that that super long two game losing streak we're on had had everybody upset. I feel like a couple things real quick. One, you know, the point about um, the confidence in the shots. I was really impressed that they were getting open looks, considering they have not run a lot of sides, especially with the smaller group. I, I mean, you know, Ryan Dunn did a much better job screening than I expected him to. Um, I also thought BVP, you know, Tony mentioned after the game, you know, he's dealing with a back issue. We've noticed him on the sidelines wearing like some sort of um, I, best thing I could call it is a heating pad, right? It's like a, like a wrap. Um, yeah. It's like a, it's like a, it's not a brace, but it's like right, a soft. Yeah. It's and like it's got, soft. and I think it's got some sort of heated element to it that he puts on when he comes out, and then he takes it off when he goes back in. Um, but I, but I also thought that, like, you know, to to your point, Dave, which I think was was very well said, the idea that like they didn't have the sort of meandering droughts, let's call them, you know, I don't know if that's a good term for them or not. Um, they didn't have those sort of um, the droughts that come because they're just not playing well right that's not to say the offense was just like hot knife through butter but they they made plays they made shots and it and and I think because of that because they didn't have those kind of droughts it felt that felt like Virginia basketball to me right um you know at some point Ferber said like it's this is gonna this feels like every Virginia Clemson game you know um they looked like they were in a in a good spot mentally they were they were look like they were in a good spot in terms of execution. Um, it never felt like they were going to lose that lead, and that has not been the case this season. Even in games where I, you know they ultimately you know won you know relatively comfortably, right? Some of those games, especially the last few weeks, you know that Louisville um, game and that Notre Dame game. I mean, they were you know they were a little a little a little spicier um, <laughs> in a couple spots than they should have been. Um, this one just never they just never let that get there. And I do think Clemson's a pretty decent team. I think there should be a tournament team. Uh, I think they're pretty talented. Uh, that Hunter kid had one of the best blocks I've ever seen in person. Um, I mean, he just went literally straight up, um, blocked the ball like up, which I just don't I, you just don't see that very often. Um, heck, you don't see a lot of kids in that situation jump, um, you know, because, you know, you're just thinking you're going to get put on a poster and he just didn't care. Um, but I just thought that. Um, you know, when Virginia went away from Dunn in that first half, I thought it, it it afforded Clemson a little bit of a break. And I thought, you know, he should have probably gotten some more minutes in the second half. But I thought, you know, BVP, he gets seven boards. Um, you know, he he again, he's still not he's still not where he needs to be for this team to really be its best version of itself, you know, in terms of scoring. But, you know, he's making some decent plays. And, you know, I, I think he was being physical enough with PJ Hall and fake PJ Hall um, to, to really, I think, do the job. And I think on some level, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, the guy I thought was, was probably the most impressive to me in this game, aside from Gardner at 12 and nine, I really liked it. Franklin has, you know, yeah, his three point shot was, you know, he had a couple here and there, but I thought he was still really aggressive. Um, I'm, I was really shocked when I, after the game to see that he didn't take a free throw. Because I thought he really did a nice job sort of getting into the lane, um, you know, taking people off the bounce. Even in situations where he didn't force it and he, you know, he kind of turned and, and passed it out. I thought he did a nice job of probing. Um, you know, Virginia tends to do well when the ball touches the paint. And I thought he was a big reason for that. Um, 
last thing on Clemson, and I'll let you both answer on this. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversation about sort of where the ACC is as a league. Um, and, and I think that when one of your top four teams is on the bubble, like Clemson is, it's hard as a league to really have a lot of confidence that, um, you know, as you, you stack up against the rest of the leagues across the country, that you're going to, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Um, but Brownell said something really interesting last night. He was talking about sort of the idea of the league and how, you know, a few years ago when they didn't make it, there were three number one seeds. And he's like, you know, they weren't, you know, they weren't just like three number ones. They were like super number ones or whatever he said. Right. But now because Duke and Carolina aren't any good, or let me rephrase because Duke and Carolina aren't traditionally, you know, good in the sense that they traditionally are right. There's this idea that the league is down. And I'm curious as we, you know, we see Notre Dame. I don't know what the score is right now. I don't know if it, looking at the clock is probably over. Um, They're up 14 with three and a half minutes to go. All right. So a double digit lead late in the game, giving Mike Bray a hell of a send off. Um, but anyway, I, I'm just curious, what do we think of the ACC? You know, in a week, there's going to be a, a tournament uh, in Greensboro. And after that, there's going to be a selection Sunday. We're all going to figure out where everybody goes and all that fun stuff. Dave, let's start with you. What's your general point of view on the ACC? Do you buy into the idea that the league is significantly down? Do you think it's just a matter of the there is no real elite team in the league and therefore the league suffers? What's your what's your general thought on this whole thing? Yeah, I don't think the whole league is down. I think, you know, Louisville and Notre Dame have been pretty terrible at points during the year. But, you know, because of that, because you're playing a 20 game conference schedule and you see some of these teams twice a year, um, you know, even teams like that are going to be tough on the night because, look, you know, the better teams have to have to play 20 games too. injuries happen, all that other stuff. Um, that said, uh, there's not an elite team in, in the league, which is usually the measuring stick for how good a conference is, because that kind of helps offset like, Oh, so-and-so hasn't won many games because they had to play that team twice or whatever. Right. Um, I do think the teams that make the big dance could, could make a, could make a run and surprise some people. But it's just like all of college basketball this year. There's not one team. If you told me you have to bet X number of dollars on a team, there's very few I'd pick. Because um, everyone's got a got a weakness, whether it's a you know an opposing style they don't do well against, or they rely too much on one aspect of their their offense, whether it's shooting the three or or their defense isn't good enough. Like there's very few elite teams. Um, it's just. Yeah, I'm not saying the ACC is great this year, but I don't think the ACC is bad as you know you would you would think just reading the papers or looking at the metrics even. Um, and, yeah, I think they'll surprise people, but it's it's because there's no elite team, and depending on what happens in conference tournaments, like if you're not seated in the top two or three, it's hard to make a deep run, you know, without some upsets. So that'll be the that could be the. Uh, <laughs> the um the detriment to my my thought that things will you know they'll make a make a run in the postseason but all in all i think top to bottom it's okay i still don't think i love the 20 game schedule though just because it puts so much pressure on these teams not to schedule hard on the out of conference um especially with roster turnover like we see in the college sports today i uh one you're when you said in the papers, I just 
Hey, my, I'm the oldest my, dude on the podcast. My for my, my my uh my initial uh my initial like reaction to like like throw you know, throw you under the bus, um, put you on blast or whatever was really difficult to to keep uh, off the mic. Second, I, I tend to agree with that forever. I think that um, you know, well, I'm not the one who said it. No, no, I'm so. no, I was, I was getting ready to I was getting ready to say the thing. I this is listen, it, this is how you segue from one person to the other. As you say, I tend to agree with that. The idea, if you hadn't cut me off, I would have said the idea that like you know, ultimately. Like there, there is no elite team, but that doesn't necessarily, you know what I'm saying? Like that doesn't necessarily change the trajectory. Let me ask you that question the same way I asked it to him. Do you buy into it? Do you, th- how, how would you sort of describe your point of view on the league this year? Yeah, I think I agree with pretty much everything, pretty everything Dave said. Um, I think there's a lot that goes into it. I think um, the league is weighed down by a few teams at the bottom from a metric standpoint. So like, if you look at the average rating of the league, it's just like when you're doing any sort of averaging, right? When you have an outlier by definition, it's going to drag down the rest, right? Like Louisville is like 288 in Ken Palm or something like that's insanely bad. And, and that's, you know, I think that kind of speaks to something. I mean, they're just one team, but like they have four wins and half of them are in league play. Like, um, they should not have two ACC wins if they're like two and 10 in the non-conference, you know what I mean? Like they should be like, Oh, and 18. Um, but anyway, you know, them, Georgia tech, Notre Dame have kind of like weighed things down and then the middle is okay. I think like, that's where the ACC is like fine is from, you know, like if Miami, Virginia were like the third and fourth best teams in Pitt. And they were like you said, like two or three better teams. Then, then I think the league would be pretty strong. Um, but I mean, like, I don't know how to combat the idea that the league is down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's not, there's no evidence I can point to that it's not that I know of. Because, like, right now the top team in Ken Palm and the ACC, I believe, is Duke, and I think they're like thirty. And then yeah. it's like Miami and Virginia are like in the mid thirties. I mean. Like you talked about that 2019 season, like that Brad Brownell mentioned, we mentioned it on this podcast. Like they had like four or five teams in the top, like 17. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I, I think too, like if you look at the ACC, um, nobody in the ACC has beaten anybody good out of the conference, really. Like, I mean, you'd have to, I mean, you can look at the, at the wins, like the best ACC wins. Virginia's the, got them. Yeah. I mean, like UVA has, they beat Baylor and they, Illinois is like a nice win, but they're not even like ranked or anything. Yeah. Um, and, and that's cool. I mean, like that's a good win, Michigan, you know, whatever. Um, they played Houston tight, you know, that's cool. Um, you know, like North Carolina played Alabama tight, like, but they didn't win. They, they hadn't, they haven't beaten anybody good. Um, and then you kind of start to look at the league itself and it's like, I understand the idea of it's like, well, some leagues that everybody beats up on everybody. So like they're and that's considered good because it's like everybody's good. And the ACC doesn't get that sort of same benefit of the doubt, I guess. And and I, I understand that. But I think a lot of that has to do with like we're kind of watching these teams and like they're they're just not that great. Like you look at where they're going to be seated. And they might, you know, they might like last year, I think, and that's, I think that was kind of my ultimate point with this is that was kind of my ultimate point with this is down this year. I think the ACC has been down since 2019. 
And like this year is like a continuation of that. But last year they had two teams in the final four and one in the, and another in the elite eight, you know, it, it's hard to say like they could go to the, they could have five teams in the NCAA tournament that all make it to the second weekend. And everybody's gonna be like, see, they're better than all these other teams. And it would be kind of hard to refute that. But you know, if they all also lose in the first weekend, it doesn't really mean they're like worse than we thought either. It's just hard to judge on that. But ultimately there's talent in the league. There's a good coaching in the league. Um, I think like Duke, for example, is like kind of peaking at the right time. So they might make a run, but I mean, the league is down. Like, I don't think, I don't think there's like a lot to, I don't have a, like a leg to stand on to say that it's not really like, what's the evidence that it's not down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would you think this, would you guys argue the SEC is better than the ACC this year? See, no, I mean, not really. I mean, but I, I think maybe the difference is the SEC isn't having that conversation. You know what I mean? Like they're not being, the only difference, I guess, with the SEC is like they have Alabama, who's um, losing to Auburn currently. Yeah, I um, mean, and and they have some good quality teams, but like they have the same issue the ACC does, right? Where it's like Kentucky's not that good. Um, yeah, so. they have four teams in the conference with double digit losses, um, and they only play eighteen conference games or seventeen conference games. No, yeah, yeah, eighteen. Mm-hmm. Sorry, eighteen. Um, but they so, don't yeah, have I mean, a team that's four and twenty six. No, they've got yeah, thirteen, ten, and twenty is their worst team. South yeah. Carolina, and that's what a normal Clemson, ACC season which, would be like. You know, it's yeah. like you would have a team that won like nine games. It sucks, but this year they have like a few teams that. I mean, Notre Dame has ten wins, like, and they're not the worst team. Yeah, um, that's crazy. So a couple of a couple of thoughts here. I think one, it's very interesting to me because what what is very what is, let me back up a step. A lot of people will use the season, right, to make a determination on whether or not a team should or shouldn't get this many bids or that many bids or whatever, right? The whole thing is is through the prism of trying to balance out the leagues to figure out who should get into the tournament and where those teams should stack up against each other, right? But let one team go deep, right, and all of a sudden, hey, well, that league was better. Well, why? Why? What makes that better because ultimately yeah, the metric not as sophisticated an argument exactly like, <laughs> the metric by which you determined who was good all of a sudden shifts on its head right instead of a prolonged season who you played what you did against everybody and what they did against everybody they played and such and such right now all of a sudden it's like oh one two game scenarios um everything else is out the door it it is it is in sports one of the like one of the most like obvious moving of the goalpost right you judge during the season based on sort of who's going to get in a tournament because of what teams do during the season right and then the second that they get into postseason all it takes is one of those teams to like go to the elite eight or some nonsense and everybody's like oh that league was better than we thought why because they won one game like that doesn't necessarily change the trajectory of the thing and if you go like you know, like I, I, we talk a lot about Kim Palm um, on this podcast, but if you go and look at sort of the balance of conferences, right? And um, I mean, it. I don't think it's necessarily an argument that the ACC is down. The question is not enough to me is not whether or not the ACC is down. The question is like, what does it mean? What does that even mean? Like, what is? I think what does the that question matter? is how down. Right, exactly. Like, are they I, like marginally down, or is it like actually like they're much worse? Unless I, I think unless you're trying to explain to me that it's a prolonged problem, right? And given what the ACC teams did last year at the end of the season, right? 
because to me, that is the metric that matters, right? Um, it's not necessarily about how many teams you do or don't get in the tournament. It's about how much success are you having, right? The season itself is about the league, and then the postseason is about the postseason, right? So unless teams are going to make some, you know, win some games in the tournament, that, like that to me is the thing that matters the most, right? And for a lot of people, that's not the thing. For a lot of people, it's all about the metrics and we're balancing teams against each other and blah, 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 blah. So right now in like Kim Palm's, you know, overall ratings, the first ACC team is Miami at 37 and Virginia's the second one at no, 38. No, Duke is above Miami. Oh, yeah, my bad. Duke I missed the them. At, they're, they're 32. Okay. But, but my point still stands is it's still there. Mm-hmm. All of the ACC teams are outside the top 30, right? Now, does that because Florida Atlantic's thirtieth? Does that mean the ACC is like worse than the Conference, Conference USA? USA. <laughs> Maybe you, you had know? to think about what league it was, didn't you? Well, I mean, it's, no, I was, I was, <laughs> I was building up steam. It's, and I, it's I, on the page. It's on the page. I, did, I didn't need to worry about it. But no, my my bigger point though is that like if if Duke goes on a run because Ferber's right, I think they're peaking at the right time and they they look pretty good. Spoiler alert, they're freaking talented. They never should have yeah. been struggling, right? The fact that Carolina is even on the bubble is ridiculous. Like, I think that's the ridiculous. argument for the ACC isn't as bad as people think because, like, the teams are just – I mean, they're not like – like I said this on the show a few weeks ago, but, like, the Duke team this year is not like the R.J. Barrett, Zion Duke team. Like, they're just not. You know, like, they're not at that level. But they're not like a bunch of dudes who like came from nowhere, <laughs> you know. Like they have a bunch of talented players on their team, and same with Carolina. Like I mean, and it's like you could all, the case you could make for the ACC is like, well, if the ACC is so bad, how come these teams with all this talent aren't like just running through it? Like you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And even Virginia, like Virginia was picked like the uh, UVA is picked what second in the league behind Carolina. Like why isn't yeah. UVA like you know eighteen and two? Um, but I think like you could also look at this and be like. In an average ACC year, would this UVA team be about to go fifteen and five? Like, I don't think so. Um, they, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they'd be bad, but they would be like a twelve and eight team with a good resume, um, because they'd have a bunch of really good games under their belt. And I think you know, it's and also like I think it's worth mentioning too that it's not like this narrative started before the season began. Like, look at Ken Palm rankings from before the season. UVA was like fifth. I think Duke was like sixth and Carolina was ninth. So it's not, it's not like they can't, they went into the season being like ACC is not going to be very good this year. Well, it's weird though. Cause you know, UNC to me is kind of a perfect example of why we've discussed this stuff all season, right? Like all year last year, we heard the ACC mm-hmm. was down as well. You know, that was the argument. And then Duke and Carolina make the final four. And then Carolina, who was an eight seed last year, if I remember correctly, um, in the, you know, tournament, which means they were not far from missing the tournament starts the season number one, because they had a good postseason. Yep. Same roster. Like, yeah. We talked about it last week. It's like they, they were inflated yeah. because if they won like five games in a row or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a part of me that thinks if Carolina's not preseason number one, they're probably better than they are right now because you know there's some hunger there. Right. You know, prove them wrong. But uh, like, I, that's why like these, I get it. We, we're going to have these discussions and it does matter because it, when you get to the bubble, you know, if your conference is better, that helps pull up a team like Clemson and Carolina who are kind of on the bubble now, if not off of it already. Um, but ultimately the same people who like play that when they, when they vote the following year, and I'm just talking AP voters, not metrics, but I guess in some aspects of metrics do the same thing is they base everything off 
previous year, which is largely based on how they did in the postseason tournament. Um, and Notre Dame might be blowing this lead. Yeah, and like Ken Palm <laughs> takes into account like what you bring back in Carolina obviously yeah. brought like everybody back. But then by this time, like they're not factoring any of that in anymore. It's based purely on numbers. So it's like the numbers are what they are. Yeah, um, Virginia was what top six in Ken Palm two and a half weeks ago. Yeah, they were like 14th yeah. or 13th, and now they're like, I mean, and some of that is oh, like, that's right. They were 14th, and you 13th. have to remember too, it's not like, oh, they're getting punished because the ACC is bad. It's like they're getting punished for playing inefficiently. Inefficient, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was a huge part of it. Their points per possession was terrible against a not good Boston College team. Yeah, or the like a metric gone from good. Yeah, team. The offense has gone from 25 to 75. Yeah. Yeah, and that's crazy. Brief, man. That's a, I mean, yeah. it that that might be an overreaction because they're not the 75th, like most talented offense, probably. But like that, I mean, it does kind of, I think the numbers were a little slow to pick up on how UVA was playing at first. And then they kind of caught up because they weren't really like playing that great for a yeah. while. And it was like they were kind of coasting. But yeah, I think also if there is, I mean, Brad, just back to your original question, I think if there's a fan base or like a group of people that are like the most equipped to answer this question. It's us like the UVA people that follow UVA, right? Why? Because UVA has played 19 ACC games and they've played Baylor and Houston, right? Mm. Who are the two best teams UVA has played? Yeah. Baylor and Houston. And it's not particularly it's not, close. No, it's not close at all. That's a really good point forever. Cause if you think about it from that standpoint, like, yeah, like not only, <laughs> Not only is it is it Houston and and Baylor by a wide margin, but even Baylor's not exactly a top five team. Yeah, they've right? they've been playing better lately. I mean, they like have. No, that's yeah. fair. But like, if you look at if you look at like just use Kim Palm, right? Like, there are several SEC teams in that mix that are in that top you know 10, 15 ish range, right? There are several um, Big Ten teams, even a couple of Pac twelve teams between UCLA and um, um, Arizona, right? The fact that the ACC is nowhere near any of that, I think, says a lot. Because even if we want to talk about, like, degrees, right, it'd be one thing if Virginia was sitting there at, like, 21, right? Or you had or, – or the ACC had, like, 18, 20, and 22, right? And you could make an argument like, okay, the metrics are, you know, for whatever reason, the, the rest of the league is sort of bringing it down because of how bad the bottom bottom is, right? But here are these other teams, and they're right there in the thick of it, Right. They only needed a game or two to go in a different direction, and they would be much higher, you know, in terms of the um, the way they stack up against everybody else. They're not even close right now, and it's really tough to argue away not being close at all, right? So your point's well taken. Like Houston and Baylor are by far the two best teams UVA's played. Duke's probably third, but the fact that Illinois is in that conversation says, I think, a lot about the ACC in general, right? I think Duke is probably the most well. Houston's still pretty talent, damn talented, but Duke's really talent like their potential. Like that Duke team has a lot of pieces. Carolina has a lot of pieces. They just have not been able to. You know, Duke's obviously hit a, a nice um, run of it here lately. But um, the fact that you that the ACC doesn't have anybody in the top thirty uh, of Kemp, I think that says a lot. Now, I will say, I hate the net. I think the net is dumb, um, and I'm not saying that because the net hates UVA. I just think that like. You you lose you win by ten versus you win by nine can be you know that I'm so big glad a you deal because it's just stupid to me like why it is, is it, can it not be like it not to step on you because no, it's a quick ahead, thing do it. why why instead of doing ten points can we do a percentage <laughs> yeah, doesn't that make fair. more sense it does yeah it does well I think and you I, tell me one hundred twenty one hundred ten victory is, is better is, than a yeah. fifty forty 
you need to you need to instead of having these like lines of demarcation where it's like a win over 10 points is like worth way more than a win by nine they need to just have a scale and it just needs to be done on a scale a win's a win that's the way i feel because ken palm doesn't look at it and say like oh you won by nine that's like way less efficient than a 10 point win it doesn't do it that way so like why can't the net be like that sophisticated um but yeah it's just weird but i mean like i understand they, they use it as a sorting tool I think like, you know, it is what it is. It's imperfect, but it's also got like a, I think a lot of people don't understand that it has like, it's looking at like efficiency and predictive metrics too. So it's like, it's not just based on like, oh, this team is like, they they are where they are based on like what they've done. It's also like, how good are they? And how good do we think they are? Like, you know, so teams being like, oh, like pit fans were, I mentioned last week because they were behind teams in the net that they beat, that they beat, right? It's like, you just lost to Notre Dame. Do you want to be behind Notre Dame? (laughs) And you didn't lose to Notre Dame by one. You lost to Notre Dame by double digits or whatever it was. was Nine. Yeah. Seven. Um, But like, yeah, I mean, that's not how it works. But I think ultimately it's, I don't think the ACC has like a basketball issue, like long term or anything. Like, you know, where it's like, they're not going to be all on the same level. But at the same time, I think like the reality is what it is to some degree for this year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and look, it depends on what ACC is not going to be what it was in the early '90s. You know, that it's the expansion kind of knocked that down. It's and just, to be honest with you, the idea with expansion was that it would make it the ACC basically like the new Big East, and it just hasn't yeah. worked out that way. On either side, football or basketball. Yeah, but, I mean, um, for basketball specifically, though, I mean, you added Syracuse, you added Louisville, you added like these programs that won a lot of games. Um, Pitt you know, when they got them was a different thing. And like, and it just, you would think like, man, this is about to be a super league and the teams like Miami and Florida state and Clemson are going to get destroyed. And then it's like, it just hasn't worked out that way. Florida state's won like multiple league titles. Miami's about to maybe win another one. Like, yeah. And Pitt could theoretically still win it. And Virginia's (laughs) going to win it again, maybe. So like, you know, there's a lot of, I I don't know, like the ACC is not great, but I, I just think I don't feel like it's like, like UVA's in a like they're unprepared for the tournament or anything though. <laughs> you no, know what I mean? No. Like I don't feel like they're gonna go in yeah, and be like, oh, these teams that. are way better than like what the we've literally been the only team in the country that scares me is Houston, just because I've seen them in person. Like Alabama, I wouldn't love to play. I really don't. But want I think to Virginia Purdue. can match up well with Alabama. Purdue. I don't want to see Purdue. Like I don't know because dude Purdue's is... got a big guy, and I feel like we always do well against. No, but that dude's you know, not just big. That dude's big like guy. crazy big. Like he's like absurdly big, and I just don't yeah. think this is the year Virginia hey. needs it. Like we got five Tony's going to be throwing BBC at him. <laughs> well, that's what <laughs> that you know. But like, even if you throw Caffaro at him, like Pop, I mean, Pop, I mean, Poppy's huge, but he like that dude is just. I a mean, he'll whole be out other... of the game in like let's like five. Man, that's the thing is it like just that's hoping Edie to throw a punch beforehand listen that's <laughs> that's, the a, that's the thing about Edie. like that dude is not just he's he's huge but he's also really good at understanding how to use his huge you know what i'm saying good like passer yes he and and like he's got really i mean he's 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 actually a really like you wouldn't call him like an uh like an a plus athlete by any stretch but like think about all the dudes seven foot four 300 pounds you've seen that kid has nice foot footwork. I mean, he moves well. You know, he's got decent fluidity. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's still a huge dude, right? But he's still, I don't know. I, I won't know part of that. Unless it's like a, you know, Final Four, you know, national <laughs> yeah. championship matchup. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you right now, though, like UVA, like, 
the individually, like I agree, like there's not like a lot of teams where you're like, I don't think UVA's got a shot because I think they can pretty much beat. I mean, even Houston, like if they just made a few more shots in that game, they could have won it. Like it wasn't like they were out of it or anything. Yeah, they were at home though. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's all them at Houston last year. Yeah, but so, this UVA team should be just as worried about Furman as they are. Oh, about yeah. Exactly. No, I completely agree. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. I mean, if we're having a conversation about like teams I'm worried about, like there, there's only literally really one. every team that they, but then everybody about. else is basically <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. if you think about it, you know, whoever Virginia gets in the NCAA tournament in a couple weeks, I mean, yes, we, we should be very concerned. All right. Last thing before we, we roll, obviously uh, this is episode 499. We've got something cooking for 500 and then we will be back next week to preview the ACC tournament and all that fun stuff on 501. But, um, I guess, you know, going into what will be Kihei Clark's last game for sure this time um, at UVA, um, obviously it sounds like um, Armand Franklin's going to go through senior day, um, although I don't believe a decision has been made as to whether or not he'll come back next year, all that fun stuff. Um, but I just think that, like, you know, considering this is such a veteran team and considering, you know, obviously Kihei, um, we can debate the whole – because um, I saw somebody on Twitter today talking about, you know, retiring his number or retiring his jersey. We can we can save that for the offseason. Um, but, I mean, we talked a lot about Kihei Clark over the last few years. And I, I don't think there's going to be a perfect place for this conversation or at least this question, no matter how long the answers go. Um, because, you know, we're going to get right into the postseason here. Um, but, I mean, we had a whole thing last year. Um you know, everybody I talked to was sure he was leaving, I guess, until he wasn't. Um, considering the – it was something Brandell said last night. He was talking about, like, um, you know, the way the kid just makes winning plays. And he was, he was talking about watching this piece of film and how Kihei was doing this specific thing. And, and the, the whole entire defense that the team was running was designed to not let him have it, and he still managed to get the ball because he just – he understands things. And – I, I don't know if we're ever going to see a guy like him. Um, not just because, you know, he's under-recruited, he's undersized, not just because he comes on as a freshman on a championship team and plays the part he played and made the plays, especially the the big one that he made, and not just because, you know, he, he comes back for fifth year and becomes the school's all-time leading assist guy and all this fun stuff, right? It's like any one of those things is enough to be like noteworthy. But the fact that this dude has like all of the, these things combined is pretty outlandish. If you think about it, right. That he ends up being who he has, who he became. Um, and I'm just, I don't know. I guess I just want to give folks a, you know, a chance to, to, to talk a little bit about this, you know, um, incredible career that he has had. Um, and now we, you know, for sure bidding adieu to, to Charlottesville, Dave, I'll just open it up and let you take it from there. Yeah, I mean, look, I think he's he's had a a career that was full of fan debate, right? Um, but a huge part of the biggest moment in UVA history, you know, not only just the pass against Purdue, but you know, he was a big key in that run to a title after the terrible loss in 2018. You know, he came to a team full of veterans. And they took him under his wing, and he kind of just fit his role perfectly. Um, and then, look, the didn't have quite the same success in you know the the years between, but not his fault. Like he's always been who he's been, right? 
you know, a guy who bulldogs the ball on defense, um, plays 40 minutes a game almost, um, and has the same intensity minute 39, you know, as he does minute one um, of almost every game he plays. That's who he is. I think he got a, I don't want to say he's, you know, a perfect player by any means. Like, you know, he, you know, he's on the shorter side, um, not an elite shooter because it, and obviously getting to the rim at his size is a skill, which is going to lead to shots getting blocked. Um, but if you look at that, that kind of inner few years he had between the championship team and this year, I don't think it was him. I think he was paired with guards that didn't help him create space, you know, early beat not being a big three shooter, Casey Morsell struggling. Um, and look, you know, you can go back and rewrite history all you want. There was people who weren't, you know, super excited about him coming back this year, but this team without Kihei Clark, you cannot argue would be in a much worse place. Um, you know, you can't argue that how important he was for the 19 team and you can't argue how important he is for this one. And for five years for a guy like that, like, Look, he, you know, he's also an assist leader and the toughest point guard I've seen play despite his size since the guy who he passed for the assist lead, um, John Crotty. Ferber, what do you think? Yeah, Dave just sounded like he was doing a eulogy there. He for did, a didn't he? <laughs> I didn't mean it that <laughs> um, way. No, no, I think, yeah, I mean, that was spot on. I think he has uh, the most interesting career of any UVA basketball player I've ever seen um that doesn't mean like the best or anything like that but i I think like the way that the way that he kind of like came in it's completely off the radar i mean he's committed to uc davis that'll be a trivia question one day um you know he comes in and and not only does he like play he you know he eventually becomes a starter brad burnell kind of mentioned this the other night he's like tony kind of saw that he needed him out there even though like logic might say otherwise um, with the, what he had, you know, with Ty at point guard. Um, and, you know, he, he obviously big part of that. We don't need it. We're not, you know, we're preaching to the choir um, national title team. And then, you know, in the years since, I think it's been an interesting sort of path for him. I think he's definitely like every team that he's been on, he's been like the constant in like a program that's seen a lot of change. Um, you know, you think about, like you mentioned that like 2020 team with like Casey Morsell and all those guys on it. And, and then the next year he he's on a team with like a bunch of dudes who are now in the NBA. (laughs) And that was like a completely different team, but he was a big part of that. And then the next year, you know, he's on an NIT team and, you know, he, he's kind of trying to scrap to keep them afloat. And, you know, this year he's kind of part of a resurgent UVA team. And I think, you know, what is it's March 1st, like, I'm interested to see where this takes him over the next few weeks, because I think if they are able to do something special, whether that be win another ACC tournament or make it to the elite eight or farther or whatever it is. um, I think that is just another mark in his, um, you know, category or whatever, because I think one of the unsung things about, you know, the way the swoon that the team had, recently i think is his play i think like he he had some rough games like i mean not he wasn't bad but like you know he just wasn't scoring at the level that he was and even last night same thing um 
but he's still contributing. He's still like a big part of what they're doing. But I think that shows you how important he is like productivity wise to what they're trying to do this year. And if they don't have that from him, you know, I think it's crazy to think this, but like, I mean, if you had told me in 2017 or whatever, like this team's going to go as far as Kihei Clark takes them, like that would be a crazy thing to say. But I mean, honestly, that's kind of where I feel like they are right now. And I'll, I'll be honest. I'm one of the people who was kind of like, I don't know if they should try to run this backcourt back next year, just given the lack of space. And, you know, like the limitations recent and Kihei are great players, but they, some of their like weaknesses and things overlap or like they don't complement each other. And they've found a way with, you know, Tony gives, deserves a lot of credit for this too, but like they've found a way to maximize, you know, what him and Reese are able to do together and um, Kihei's own development, craftiness, whatever has been a huge part of that. And, it's an interesting career. And yeah, I mean, I think we'll have those conversations down the road about like where he fits into the UVA basketball, like history and everything. But um, I mean, he's going to be all over that record book for a long time. And that's something that most people did not see coming when he committed to UVA. Yeah. A um, couple things. One is, you know, I don't think there's been a player in all the years we've done this podcast where who we've talked about more um, than Kihei. And to Ferber's point just a second ago about sort of, um, you know, running it back. I, I, I think that a lot of us understand that the longer we see something, the harder it can sometimes be to continue to see it, right? And for a guy who, you know, kind of came in um, under the radar, um, certainly wasn't um, at the time of his recruitment and when, when Virginia took his commitment and everything, I mean, there weren't a lot of people who were like, man, this could be the kid who is the key to a national championship run. Um, you know, having worked in this business a long time, you know, there were there are always going to be other dudes, right? Um, you could even go back to that 16 class and and say like, you know, well, this was the guy that they've, you know, that that they wanted for this spot or whatever. I, I think that Dre in particular. Yeah. That spot. Yep. What's most remarkable about Kihei is not just the the, you know, the longevity. Um, I, I think it's the way that he sort of found his path through what I think are really dawning circumstances. He comes on, he's a freshman on a championship team. He makes literally one of the biggest plays in the history of the NCAA tournament. Certainly, you know, the biggest play, um, one could argue, um, in school history for sure. Right. And I mean, imagine the weight of that to come back your next year, right? And then to have COVID and the pandemic and, I mean, he he's he's on the other coast. I mean, just think about this from the human aspect of it all, right? I mean, listen, the kid is not, he, he's not a prototypical, you know, in an NBA guy, right? You know, he's playing this because, you know, it's a game he loves. He's good at it. He can get a free education. And he, he sort of stumbled into this situation where not only is he such an in integral cog in a massive storyline, right? I remember talking to him that year um, and, you know, everybody else is getting all the UMBC questions. Well, he didn't get any of them because he wasn't there, right? Um, and he used to talk about, you know, when, when he would, you know, laugh. He's like, you know, I just watched it, you know, from far. Um, but to to see, to 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 look back on the career he had, considering where it started, there are a lot of dudes who can't handle that pressure. And I do think if we're going to call the spade a spade, that, that Kihei went through a little phase there where he, he got a little bit 
um, out of his uh, out of his range, so to speak. Right. He, he he wanted to be a little bit more than maybe he was. And I think he 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 was there and he and he came back and he settled into being exactly who he is. And he worked on his game. He improved his shot. I think he's a much stronger player now. Um, certainly from a um, X's and O's standpoint, like you're not going to show him anything he hasn't seen. Um, you know, he's still going to make mistakes. He's not perfect as, as we talked about, but I mean, um, it's okay. I think for people to both respect the hell out of the guy, be really impressed by him. Um, and also to, to look at the big picture and, and think, you know, that, that there are, um, you know, they're going to be, there's going to be a changing of the guard. Right. And your, your, your mileage is going to vary on, on how enthusiastic you are about, that changing of the guard. I know for some people, you know, the season he's had has sort of squashed a lot of the um, the noise about about him and, and whatnot. But I think for some folks like that, you know, they'll be excited, right, when they get a new point guard in there and they're able to watch a different sort of team and they're able to see a guy do things a little differently. But I, I will think say there hasn't been as much like Kihei is the problem. No, I, and I think that has a lot to do with him, you know, and the way he's played. I mean, he has been, he's been such, he's been so good with the ball. I think he's been smarter about not trying to drive among trees. He's he, he's shot the ball better, you know. For for a stretch of the season there, he you could have argued that he was their best shooter. Um, but I mean, you know, he he was he was on a couple of teams where they really didn't have like a dude who was going to take over, you know, and that can sometimes play with your mind a little bit. I just I really respect the hell out of the guy. Regardless of you know whatever the reaction may or may not have been on the outside, he just kept going about his craft. And you know what? At the end of the day, um, if that's not the most Tony Bennett thing, um, I'm not sure what is. So I think that is a very good place to put a pen in it. Like I said, we'll we'll come back with something special for you uh, for for 500, and then we'll be back um, early next week to get you set for um, the Greensboro Coliseum. The the thing goes goes back home, so to speak. I guess I'll always think the ACC tournament like that to me is just home for it. But anyway, if you're somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your shows. And if you're so inclined to give us a rating or review, we appreciate it. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod has not given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out at CavsCorn.com. Um, plenty of stuff. Uh, Ferber's planning to go down to Greensboro. Um, a lot of, lot of, lot of stuff coming down the pike for sure. Um, I want to thank my perfect franchise for their support of the website and the show. You can visit myperfectfranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I want to thank everybody out there for supporting the show for 499 episodes. <sighs> I'm not really sure how that happened. Um, <laughs> I want to thank Dave and for bringing graciously their time as always. I very much appreciate all that they do. So for David Spitz and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.